0: Good morning. I promise not to do this every time, but this is the first time I've been up here with you right there. I want to acknowledge Alan and Elizabeth and their family in the sanctuary this morning. It's so good to have you. Welcome back. Every Sunday morning before church, I go for a walk. It's just an opportunity for me to slow down from the busy week and just take an intentional moment to let God impress upon me what he wants me to say. And often when I go into my walk, the sermon is still a bit jumbled. I have it all, it's there, it's not quite clicking. And faithfully God pulls it together and tells me what it is that I'm supposed to say. This morning, I got back from my walk, and Karen said to me, how was the weather? And I said, it was, it was warm, and I grabbed my app, and I looked it up, and I said, and it was only 80% uh, humility. <laughs> and she said, oh, I think it's lower. And I thought to myself, wouldn't that be great? Coming this week in church center app, a spousal humility index. You can hold it up to your husband, and you can see if he's telling the truth, and whether or not he's speaking with grace and love, and that would be so fantastic. Sorry, husbands. Fortunately, it doesn't exist. But we're starting this week a series on parenting, and I can't help but think that's probably one of the most humbling things anyone can do. And there are moments where we need a humility index to remind ourselves that we need to go into this with not a modicum of grace, but a whole bucket full of it. Karen and I had a really difficult journey into parenthood. On March the 3rd, 1998, we got up in the morning and we were anticipating the birth of our first child. On the Friday before, we'd been told if the baby doesn't come on the weekend, then it's come in on Monday, and we'll just do another check. Go to the doctor's office, thinking nothing. We get into the office, they put the Doppler on, and we're hearing nothing. And we suddenly were awoken to the reality We had lost our baby. Eight hours later, Karen went into labor, and Jillian Louise Guthrie was born naturally in silence. And we were introduced to the pain of parenthood like I have never experienced before. Fast forward two years to March 9th, 2020. Uh, 2000 and we're expecting our second and third baby. Karen of course had been on bed rest, this was a very high risk pregnancy now and so it was a c-section. We're crammed inside this room together and I've got lines running across my back and every time I hear the suction going I feel the lines bouncing on my back And let me tell you, I am not good with blood. I had drugs before Karen did. (laughs) I hear Paige burst into tears when she was taken. And Karen and I immediately burst into tears. And then we heard Caleb burst into tears. And we burst into laughter. And for the first time in my life, I knew the joy of being a parent. And the running joke in our family is that Paige made us cry and Caleb made us laugh and they've been swapping places ever since. On March the 15th, 2020, March is a big month for us. I became your pastor and I started to hear your stories I started to hear about your triumphs and your tragedies. And I started to feel not quite alone in the struggle of being a parent. And My kids are grown, and so it's different for me. I don't have toddlers or teens. But I think once a parent, always a parent. Grandparents feel this. Uncles and aunts feel this. If we're in church together, we're called to care for the little ones amongst us. And I think this matters for each and every one of us. And I began to feel that God was impressing upon me to share a word from Him. This isn't a how-to parent. God knows I'm not qualified to teach that. We'll get Karen up here to do that part. But this is a why. The purpose behind what we're being called to do because I believe it is a calling. I believe with all my heart this is a calling. And hear me when I say, being a parent is a calling to participate in the soul formation of another human being. I'll say that again. Being a parent, a grandparent, an aunt, an uncle, a Sunday school teacher, a friend is a call to participate in the soul formation Of another human being and job one parents is to introduce our children to a God consciousness and a God submission because it doesn't come naturally we are all born without that ability and we need people to teach us and to show us and this is heady stuff this isn't for the timid And so God doesn't call us without giving us something with which to do it. And I think we need partners. We all need partners in this. And we really have two choices. We are all going to choose between partnering with God and those who seek God or partnering with the world. And if you're anything like me, you're going to oscillate between those two every single day. Maybe we'll get Caleb up here and he can tell you about the oscillations. Maybe we won't. You see, I think this is one of the most important, if not the most important job and calling anyone can receive. The words that Bev shared with us this morning was really Moses wrestling with this same call. Because he had been tasked with birthing a nation. And his deep concern was for how do I leave a lasting legacy with a people that are going to be entering into this land and going on without me. And I don't know if they're going to remain settled and focused on our Creator And so he wrote the law. And this particular section that we read this morning is called the Shema. And it's probably one of the most spoken parts of scripture anywhere. As as Orthodox Jews read it twice a day, in Jesus' time, they had these words bolted to their foreheads, literally, That was on their walls, it was on their doorsteps, it was on their gateposts. This was a defining characteristic of the nation of Israel. You see, Moses knew if you don't start with God, it's going to go awry really quickly. And he says this in a way where it starts from within, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Moses is telling us that we got to get this inside us. And we need, to, we need to have it infuse through us. And then we need to have it influence everything we do and everything we touch. And we got to teach our kids. You'll write them on your doors. You'll put them on signs, on your hands, on your forehead. You will talk about it with your children when you sit in your house. And when you walk by the way, teach your kids this truth Moses goes on Verse 10, he says, And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant, and when you eat and when you are full, does this not sound like our society? Then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land and into Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Verse 16, he says, You shall not put the Lord your God to test. And in verse 20, he says, When your son or daughter asks you in time to come, What is the meaning of the testimonies of the statues and rules of the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and the Lord showed signs and wonders and great grievous against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his households before our eyes. And he brought us out from there that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give our fathers. You see, Moses knew He knew that we all have a value-based focus. And what we treasure in this world is going to come out in what we do, in what we possess, in what we gather around us, in the words that we say, in the faith that we share, in, in the way we teach our children, in the clubs and sports, and all of the things that we do. In our career, it's going to come through. In our churches, it's going to come through. What we treasure will be on display. And Jesus says, make sure your treasures are in heaven. See, we live in this land of plenty, this land flowing with milk and honey, and it is a narrative that our culture gives us that is in direct conflict with the narrative of the gospel. And your children are going to notice. Notice. And they're going to ask you, especially if we commit to this with our whole hearts, minds, souls, and strength, they're going to notice, why aren't we like Johnny's family? Why aren't we like Susie's family? Why can't we do this on Sunday morning? Why do I have to be in Sunday school and I can't be in soccer? Moses says, keep this top of mind. You see, as parents, if we're going To introduce our children to this God consciousness, to this God submission, we are going to be in direct conflict with a world that wants to teach them that they only need to submit to whatever it is they feel is truth. That's the battle we fight as parents. And so Moses said, How do we do this? Tell them the stories. Why are we different, Mom? Why are we different, Dad? Well, because we were slaves in Egypt. And then God came through Moses and through Aaron, and He showed signs and wonders. And he stood up to Pharaoh and he freed us from slavery. And then he brought us to this land flowing with milk and honey and fulfilled his promise. A promise he made to Abraham. A promise he made to Isaac. A promise he made to Jacob. And we live in that land today. And Christ took the Shema and said to the church, love God with all that you are. Which means the story is our story and we get to say to our kids, we were in bondage to sin. And then Jesus came and showed amazing signs and wonders and stood up to an enemy that would keep us enslaved and in death and freed us and has given us a new promise, a new promise of a new land where we will dwell with him forever. And that, children, is why we live the way we live because we are conscious to God and we submit to God and we love God and we see the privilege that that is and I feel called to share that with you because I love you with everything I am how do we do that? What's the practical side of that for us? We've been talking for a few weeks now on spiritual disciplines. I think the first thing is to get this into our bones, all our heart and all our soul. You can't teach what you don't know. And so examine yourself. Look at your life and ask that question. It's a question My team often hears me ask, what are we doing right? You say, I don't think this is meant to be abusive. I don't want you to walk out of here feeling shame, hanging your head low. This isn't me yelling at you. This is me cheering you on because being a parent is tough. The last thing you need is your pastor telling you from the stage all the things you ought to be doing and are not so you feel guilty. No, 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 no. Imagine me in a short skirt and pom-poms. Okay, maybe don't. (laughs) But I am cheering you on. What are you doing right? I guarantee you there's a lot because there's some amazing kids roaming around this place. And then ask the second question Where are our opportunities to do this better? Gather. Do this with a family, don't do this alone. This is a team sport. Partner with us, the church. Partner with your schools. Partner with even the government once in a while to get that right. But the point is, I'm going to leave that one alone. Let's not go there. The point is this. God has given us these resources, and one of the greatest resources he's given us is the word, and the other is family and community, the church. Get this into our bones. Make this a family matter. Talk about this around the dinner table, in the streets. Talk about what it's like in their school and their day. Take stock of where your kids are on this and what they're struggling with. Acknowledge that sometimes it feels unfair they can't play soccer on Sunday morning. Move this outside your house, make this public, not private. It's not performance oriented, but an honest attempt to live our faith in the other six days. I don't know what that looks like for you, but I think this is the task that we've set ourselves to in our life groups. To live as a community asking these tougher questions. How do I share my faith in a very real and tangible way? Not proselytizing, but honest dialogue in, in community with others. And finally, ask, how, Lord, do you want us to make this public and engage our faith in the public realm? Whether we're a teacher, government worker, doctor, anything that we do, how are we able to take this faith public? Appropriately, we are in restrictions. There's things we can't do but how do we do this well? I'll finish with a story. I was having coffee with a pastor friend of mine. pastors passes a church in Edmonton. And he was sharing a story about what he uh, had attempted to do prior to entering seminary. And he talked about an interview. He got all the way to the interviewing process with uh, CSIS. And he went to this nondescript building in Vancouver with no number on it. And he walked in and he soon realized that they really couldn't take a joke. And he got into the interviewing process and they asked him this question. Do you belong to any subversive organization or religion? And my friend said, yes. And of course, their eyes bugged out because that was not the answer they expected. And they said, well, what, what do you belong to? And he said, I'm a Christian. And they said, "No, no, 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 that doesn't count. And his response floored me. He said, Then you don't understand Christianity. You see, I think that Jesus is asking us to be subversive, not in a destructive way or a violent way, but in a loving way, in a way that undermines the world's narrative that's counter to the gospel. And I think one of the most subversive things that you can do is partner in the soul formation of another human being. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we get to serve you through our children and in our children. Father, I pray for every parent here, for every grandparent here, for every aunt, for every uncle, for every friend of a child that you would help us to unleash in every little one a God consciousness and a God submission. Jesus, may they know you personally and may that knowledge change the world Father, I pray that as parents take stock and ask themselves, what is it I'm doing right? You would flood in them a deep sense of your pleasure. That they would feel encouraged to continue the monumental task of raising human beings. Father, as They ask the second question may they feel your grace may they feel challenged but strengthened to press into the areas you would have them press into and finally Lord I pray for those who have regrets who have raised their children and look back and think I didn't do that well Father, I pray they'd feel just your healing touch. That you would restore relationships. That you would make all things new. To let them know, to remind them that it is never too late to start to love. May you restore families that are broken, may you strengthen families that are whole. And may you help us to all partner with you as we work to to form the children who you've called us to do life with. We ask this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.